So in life, if we want to be successful, we have to set goals that create pressure. But the bottom line is that business leaders need to understand that if I don't believe I can reach my potential with you, I leave. If I believe I can reach my potential with you, I stay. So a business leader's job is to make sure that everyone they lead has an environment where they can reach their potential. From Tallahassee to the Keys and everywhere in between, this is Education Elevated on the FLCMAA Podcast Network. Well, you know, here's reality. Um, has anyone not heard me speak before? Raise your hand if you never heard me speak before. Okay. Well, that means you're going to get bonded today. Um, before I go any further, um, you know, I played professional basketball for eight years, and to be perfectly honest, um, had a college degree, but I was a little scared when I retired um, because every pro athlete, you commit, you commit to the sport. And a lot of times, fans are a little hard on athletes. You know, when, in order to play in the NBA, you can't really have a bunch of hobbies. <laughs> you know what I mean? In order to play Major League Baseball, from the time you're like nine years old, you completely commit to the sport. I mean, it's like a full-time job. And so at 30, 31 years old, I was a little nervous because I had no skill sets that I knew about yet. And I had a wife and three kids, and I wanted to live the same lifestyle. And my parents were teachers. And so as I built my speaking business, it might make more sense to you that my father was a high school principal, my mother's a teacher, my brother and sister. I come from a line of teachers, right? And my father said, always pay attention. So when I left sports, I paid attention and realized I had no skill set. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, oh my God, what do I do now? I'm not dumb. I have a college degree. But I haven't done anything else but play basketball, but that's what you needed to do to play pro sports. So at 31 years old, I had a deficit. And my wife looked at me, and we had little money left. I didn't make Kobe Bryant money. I made Walter Bond money, right? <laughs> and here's what my wife said, and this is why this association is important to me. She said, you know what? Here's what we need to do. We need to join a country club. I looked at my wife, and I said, what is a brother like me going to do in the country club? Now, to give you a little background, I'm from Chicago, the inner city. And my father was always big on fellowship. When you're from Chicago, your fellowship is a matter of life and death. So I've always been taught, basically, to make good decisions on who you hang around. So even though it sounded a little out of left field, joining the country club began to make sense as I thought about it more. In three years, I doubled my MBA income in business because I joined the country club. And here's why. Your salary will be the average of your five closest friends. So look to your neighbor right now and say, neighbor, this is the last time me and you are hanging out. <laughs> so we started joining country clubs as a strategy to replace MBA income. When I first got to the country club, I would just listen. I would just pay attention to, and listen to the men and women at the country club talk. And I'll never forget, I heard this one guy say, you know, it didn't cost me a lot of money. It was only $50,000. Now, my checking account is dwindling. Every month, I'm paying mortgage. Every month, we're paying car notes. Every month, we're paying insurance. We had no money coming in, but money was going out. And I heard a guy at the country club say, hey, it didn't cost me a lot of money. It was only $50,000. And I was like, man, what kind of people is this? <laughs> what kind of people are they? You know, he talked about 50000 like it was nothing. I was like, man, I would love to get my hands on 50 grand right now. But I stayed at the country club. 
And I kept listening. And before I knew it, I would get home and say, hey, baby, don't cost a lot of money. It's only five grand. You know, it's a lot of, not, not a lot of money. It's only 2,500. And she's looking at me like, what got into you? You know what got into me? My fellowship. My fellowship got into me. And before I knew it, I transferred from one locker room to the next. I transferred from an NBA locker room to a new locker room with successful businessmen and women, and that fellowship changed my life. So country clubs has always been a part of our strategy. Right now, we live in a country club in Boca Raton, Florida, St. Andrews. I live on the 17th hole. In our neighborhood, we got nine billionaires, and I'm still paying attention. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a quick story. I was having dinner with a billionaire. He was my breakfast buddy. I would have oatmeal and bagel with him every morning. I had no idea who he was. Come to find out he's a billionaire. And he says, Walter, let's go to dinner. Walter, let's go to dinner. I was a little nervous, to be honest with you. What in the heck do you say to a billionaire at dinner? <laughs> and we were having dinner. He goes, well, you know, what do you invest in? He looked me right in my eye. He says, what do you invest in? And I get a little nervous. I like, 401k. And he says, what's that? I was like, you don't know what a 401k is? He's like, no, what is it? I was like, man, what kind of financial man are you? <laughs> he had never heard of a 401k. I love my country. <laughs> and he says, if you want to learn how to invest, I'll teach you. Ladies and gentlemen, country clubs are special to me. Most of my NBA colleagues who struggle today, it's because they didn't change their fellowship. But here's another way why you might struggle right now. Write this down. Money is a currency, and it's meant to flow. Money is a currency. It's called currency for a reason. Money is meant to have a flow to it. Many business people, many executives, sometimes don't understand the flow of money. Never spend money in a way that won't come back to you. I believe at your country club, here's what most companies do. Now, Jersey Mike's is one of my biggest clients. Jersey Mike's has a cult-like culture. I take my wife to the conference every year, and she cries the whole time. <laughs> Peter Cancro is my buddy. He has built a cult-like culture because he understands that money is a currency. Many of you country clubs, can I be honest with you? You're too freaking cheap. Raise your hand if you have high turnover. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have high turnover. Your staff just turns over. Raise your hand. You guys lying to me right now. Raise your hand if you have high turnover. It's okay. Tell the truth. If you have high turnover, that's a problem. That's your problem. That's not their problem. And sometimes business leaders have this built-in excuse. Well, you know, we work at country clubs. You know, it just is what it is. We have a lot of turnover. No, 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 no. I do 100 events a year. I deal with some of the top organizations in the country, and they're dealing with the same level of professional as you at the valet. They're dealing with the same level of professional as you in the restaurants. They're dealing with the same level of professional as you in the golf shop, at the pro shop. At the golf range, they're dealing with the same professional as you. So why do some cultures have stickiness and some organizations have tremendous turnover? I'm going to tell you why. Because you're not using currency the right way. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You guys remember that way back in high school. Some of you guys were smoking dope back then, but you remember. 
Maslow's hierarchy of needs was a powerful lesson. Maslow nailed it. One hierarchy of need, not a want, a need is what we call self-actualization. It's a human need. Does anybody know what that means? Talk back to me. Kind of. To be all you can be. Anybody else want to take a stab at it? What does self-actualization actually mean? We all deal with it every single day. You deal with it right now. You guys don't, you, you guys, I thought, I was a C student. What kind of freaking grades did y'all get in high school? I had an excuse. I was playing sports trying to get a Division I scholarship. You guys weren't paying attention in school. Thank God my parents were teachers. Self-actualization means this. If I can't reach my potential here, I leave. If I can reach my potential here, I stay. Quick story. Cam Newton and Tim Tebow battled for the quarterback job at Florida. They both were freshmen, registered freshmen, whatever year they were. Tim Tebow, you guys heard of him. Cam Newton, you guys heard of him. They fought for the quarterback job at Florida. Tim Tebow won. Cam Newton woke up the next morning and basically said, I can't reach my potential here, so I got to go. I can't reach my potential here, so I have to leave. And the rest is history. He takes a step back and goes to a junior college. Many of your people are leaving. It has nothing to do with how much money they make. They're not leaving for more money. They're leaving to find a place where they can reach their potential. You guys hear what I'm saying? So Cam Newton goes to a junior college, wins a championship at a junior college, and resurfaces at Auburn and ends up becoming, was he the number one pick when he came out? and became the number one pick of the NFL draft, I think he made a good decision to leave. Would you agree? Some of your people are making a good decision to leave you. Ooh, I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry. I'm going to coach you today. Is that okay? Do I have your permission to coach you today? Do I have your A coach is going to hug you sometimes. But sometimes a coach is going to push you and kick you in the butt. See, many of your people are leaving, and they should. Why? Because they can't reach their potential with you. Why? Because you don't invest in training and development. You want me to come to work every single day and wait tables? You want me to come to work every day and clean golf bags? You want me to come to work every day and cut the grass, but I don't feel like I'm developing here? And you wonder why I leave? You wonder why I'm not engaged? Maslow's hierarchy of needs taught us way back in high school. If your work staff believes they can't reach their potential with you, they leave. And they're going to try and find another place. Maybe this other country club will work. Maybe I'll try the yacht club. I want to find a place where I can reach my potential. I'm sure you've left jobs a couple of times for your own upward mobility. Am I right or wrong? You don't think your people are trying to figure out how they can make moves inside your organization? Do you have a budget for training and development? Most organizations don't even have a budget for training and development. And they call themselves smart business people. And they scratch their head and say, well, why do my people leave? Because you're not using currency the right way. If you don't have a budget for training and development, go and fight for one. If you don't have a budget for training and development or a small budget, go and fight for a bigger budget. Jersey Mike's has built a cult-like culture because they invest in their people and their people stay. Why? Because I can reach my potential here at Jersey Mike's. I don't need to go to Subway. I can reach my potential here at Jersey Mike's. I don't need to go to Quiznos. 
Peter Cam Crow has used me four times. He just said, send me a contract. Well, how much? He's like, I don't care, Walter. My people love you. Just come to the conference. We were just with them in Orlando. We taught 1,500 of the general managers how to build high-performing teams. This is real, guys. How much money are you spending in training and development? Many of your employees aren't going to college, so you need to create their college. My god brother, who's like family, works for Chick-fil-A. He got hired by Chick-fil-A at about 26 years old. Wanted to go to college, but his parents had no money. And he couldn't figure it out. He called me and says, Walter, I love Chick-fil-A. I'm going to work here the rest of my life. I was like, look, calm down, dude. <laughs> you just got there. He says, oh, my God. I just went through a leadership training. Oh, my God. I just went through a teamwork training. Oh, my God. I just went through a customer service training. And I realized this is his college. And he believes he can reach his potential there so he doesn't leave. Do you guys know it's more expensive for you to keep dealing with turnover than it is to invest in your people to stay? So can I ask you a question? Are you using your currency the right way? If you understand the flow of money, you can always invest in the right things and you'll get it back. When I left the NBA and decided to become a motivational speaker, you guys know the first thing I did? My wife and I spent some money and joined the country club. We spent some money and went to London for a training. Cost us $10,000. Many of my speaker friends would say, are you going to London for a training for $10,000? That's too expensive. I'm like, dude, for me to play in the NBA, I had to invest in personal trainers. For me to play in the NBA, I had to invest in massages. For me to play in the NBA, I had to spend some money. <laughs> and he says, well, you know, I can't see myself spending $10,000 for a training. I said, that's fine, because you'll never be a Hall of Fame motivational speaker either. $10,000 training in London. I've been able to convert that into millions of dollars. Why? Because I invest in me. When's the last time you spent some money and invested in you? So you got to take money to get information and access. If you as a professional want to get promoted, raise your hand. If you would love to make more money, raise your hand. If you would love to be one of these GMs making a million freaking dollars as a GM of a country club, raise your freaking hand. Well, here's what you got to do. You got to take your money. I'm not even talking about your country club money. You got to take your money and invest in information. You don't know what you don't know. When's the last time you read just a good freaking book? <laughs> I started reading books when I left the NBA. I would hear guys at the country club talk about books, how to win friends and influence people. Good to great. And let me tell you something. As an athlete, I learned how to execute. I get the information and execute. I get the information and execute. The training I went to in London taught me how to better connect with my audience. It's not, not a good investment in what I do for a living. I'm speaking every freaking day this week. <laughs> And as soon as I get done, the client wants more. Like, Walter, you're so real. Walter, you're so down to earth. Oh, my God, I felt like you were talking to me. $10,000. I invested $10,000 to figure out how to get better at it. I couldn't play in the NBA without a good jump shot, could I? I couldn't play in the NBA without being in great shape. Can I help you out right now? You're not really in the country club business. You know what business you're in? You're in the people business. How good are you at managing people? How good are you at connecting with people? How good are you at reading people's body language? 
How good are you at understanding the human spirit? Peter Cancrow is growing a cult-like culture because he understands the human spirit. And he's built commitment and loyalty because he understands the human spirit and he invests in his people. I'm just laying the foundation. Are you guys ready for me today? Do me a favor. And as an individual and as a country club, understand that money has a currency to it. It has a flow. And you got to invest money the right way. And if you invest money the right way, it'll come back to you in multiples. Would everybody agree? All right. Here's what we want to do today. I got a lot of information to share. We do a lot of training. We do a lot of development of people. And we're transforming organizations like La Quinta Hotel, Hilton Hotel. We do a lot in hospitality because we're teaching GMs. We're teaching people just like you how to better manage people. If you do a great job managing people, your job will be easier and you will be seen as a leader. So can I ask you a question? Can you build a house without a blueprint? Yes or no? And I see business leaders trying to build a team without a blueprint. That's why you have so much turnover. You're just hiring random people. <laughs> and you hope it works. You hope it fits. And if you don't have a framework, if you don't have a blueprint, it's impossible to build. You have a bunch of two-by-fours. You have some drywall. You have some nails. But if you don't have a blueprint, it is impossible to build a house. Today, we built a very robust system, and we just want to lay the basic foundation of a blueprint of how to build a high-performing team. Now, quick lesson before I get into my program today. You guys heard of Phil Jackson? Raise your hand. Phil Jackson, for those of you who don't know, is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Why? Because he knew how to manage Michael Jordan. He knew how to manage Scottie Pippen. He knew how to manage Dennis Rodman. So since he knew how to manage people, he is seen as one of the greatest coaches of all time. So if you get better at managing people, your value will increase tremendously. Would you agree? <laughs> Phil Jackson had a framework. It was called the triangle offense. I don't want to get too technical, but even if you don't understand basketball, you can track what I'm going to teach you today. He had a framework called the triangle offense. He took this framework and he plugged in Michael Jordan. You guys heard of him? Say yes. And he plugged in a guy named Scottie Pippen. You guys heard of him? He plugged him into his triangle offense. And what happened? He won six championships. He leaves Chicago and he goes to the L.A. Lakers. Did he take Michael Jordan? Did he take Scottie Pippen? What did he take? He took his framework. <laughs> Who did he put in his framework in LA? Kobe Bryant, heard of him. Shaquille O'Neal, heard of him. What did he do in LA? Won five championships. Michael Jordan left Chicago and went to the Washington Wizards. How did he do in Washington? Horrible. Michael Jordan, for the first time in his life, sucked. Why? He's still Michael Jordan. But what was he missing? 
framework, lesson. You can't build a team without a framework. You can't have a high-performing team without a framework. Would you agree? A lot of people want to say, well, Michael Jordan was old. That's what happened. No, 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 no. You guys heard of Tom Brady? You guys heard of Tom Brady? You know he was an MVP of the NFL last year? At 40 years old. Why? How? Bill Belichick has a framework. And so as a law, Tom Brady was a six-round pick. Bill Belichick has such a great framework, he took a six-round pick, plugged him into his framework, and he's going to retire possibly the greatest quarterback of all time. And people say Tom Brady's a great player. He is. But have you ever noticed what happens when he gets hurt? The backup quarterback looks good, too. In fact, when Tom Brady gets hurt, he heals up real fast. He's smart. In fact, Tom Brady takes a pay cut to stay in the framework. People aren't leaving you because of more money. People are leaving you because of your culture. People are leaving you because of a lack of framework. So if you have a framework on how to build a high-performing team, do you think you can have a better team? If you have a framework on how to place people based on their own personal, what we call work expression, won't people be more engaged at work? The Gallup poll called me, and they want me to use some of their tools, and they always measure. I'm not about measuring. I want to get people results. I can care less about measuring. Okay, if you put me on a scale, thank you for letting me know how much I weigh, but can you help me lose some freaking weight? So the Gallup poll measures. I'm not about measuring. I'm about getting my clients results. So they say employee engagement. You guys know what the current stat is? Employee disengagement is like 49, no, 51%, which means every two weeks, half the paychecks you send out are going to people who could care less. Are going to people who are working on their resume. Are going to people who will leave as soon as they can. You know why they're disengaged? It's your fault. You know why they want to leave? It's your fault. But here's the good news. If you get some more information, it's your fault that they stay. <laughs> if, they get, if you get some more information, it's your fault that you have more engagement. If you get more information, it's your fault if you built a cult-like culture. Does that make sense? You guys ready? Okay, so here's what we want to do. This is a very robust program. This is a very robust system, and this is all about empowering you to become the next Phil Jackson in business. This is about empowering you to become the next Bill Belichick in business. Now, you could take this information and say, Walter, I want to go deep on this information, man. I love it. Or you could say, oh, that was a good workshop today. You can go out that door and go right back to your country club and have the same freaking issues because you're not executing some good information that you get. I doubled my MBA income because I went to mentors. I said, how do you build a speaking business? They taught me how to do it. My wife and I executed. And in three years, we doubled our MBA income. You know what my mentor told me? He says, you're the only speaker that came to me I spent time with and actually executed. That baffles me, <laughs> that people are trying to get to the next level. People are trying to make more money. People are trying to get promoted, but they don't seek information, and when they get the information, they don't execute it.
Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give you some information I know works. I'm going to teach you what Bill Belichick does. I'm going to teach you what great business leaders do. I'm going to teach you about Bill Gates to speak your language. I'm going to teach you about Craig Martin to speak your language. Great leaders who get to the top of the food chain have a framework, and they take maybe great players or average players and plug them into a great framework, and everybody wins. Does that make sense? Before I go any further, I want to introduce my teammate, my beautiful wife, Antoinette. Isn't she cute right there in the back? Isn't she cute? We've been married 25 years, and we had a party at St. Andrews, and they claim we had the best party in 25 years. And we invited some of the members that came and said, Walter, man, we're so glad you're here to bring this energy. Because <laughs> at my country club, bedtime is like 9 o'clock. <laughs> the staff didn't leave until about 2, because we're back, we, we, we backing that thing up. You hear what I'm saying? We brought a DJ in from New York, like, no, let's go, let's party, man. You only live once. You hear what I'm saying? And so our country club loves us because we spend money, we understand currency, but two, we're just good to people. And I believe if we're good to people, it's gonna flow back to me. Does that make sense? My mother always said, be sweet. My mother was a kindergarten teacher. Be sweet, son, be sweet. Every time I left the house, little kindergarten voice, be sweet, baby, just be sweet. And my daddy would say, go for it, son. <laughs> go for it, be sweet, go for it. Be sweet, go for it, be sweet, go for it. And that's who I am. I'm going to be nice to people, and I go for it. <laughs> and if you want to get to your next level, I recommend you be good to people and go for it. Does that make sense? If you want to get promoted, go for it. <laughs> if you want to be a GM, go for it. But you better get you some information, and you better get some access to the right people, and you better execute. Real quick, I-Team, the intelligent framework for high-performing teams, okay? Here's what we got to understand. Oh, is my clicker working? Yeah, I go the old-fashioned way. I don't know what happened. Okay, here's what happened. I see. Okay, there we go. Our ITIN framework is the blueprint you've been looking for to get your team to the next level. Raise your hand if you need to get your whole team to the next level. Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, so hopefully you guys are in class right now. This is not about letter grade. This is about you having more fun at work, work being more enjoyable, and positioning your country club to be more successful, and maybe positioning you to get to your next level. Does that make sense? Team success is a team sport. You, you will discover and become aware of the work expressions of successful teams. Ultimately, once you master I-Team, you will be able to fix Build and tweak any team at any time using our I-Team framework. See, great coaches in sports, when they go to the NFL draft and the NBA draft, they already have a framework. And so when they go to the draft, they're looking for what their team lacks. And if they draft the right player that their team lacks and put them in the framework, it works. Would you agree? If they're just looking for talent, it rarely works. <laughs> Some of you guys are just looking for people, just looking for talent. you got to get a framework first, and then you plug people into your framework, okay? Now, what you're going to leave with today, honestly, your first aha I'm going to give you today is that you're going to know what your superpower is. I want you to understand what your work expression is. I've done these workshops, and I've had people leave my workshop in tears. I had a woman come to me. She said, oh, my God, I've had a great job that pays me well. No, she says, I work for a great company that pays me well, but I've hated my job for 10 years. And I beat myself up because they're great people, they pay me well, 
but I don't like what I do. I don't like my job. And after your workshop, I know exactly why. They are good people. They do pay me well. But they have me playing out of position. In sports, if you play out of position, you won't look your best. Some of you guys, after this framework, you'll get the right people in the right places, and everybody's happy. Does that make sense? OK. We're going OK, here's what a healthy organization looks like. When I look at this, I, I'm believing that's the Rich Carlton right there. When I see this, I think that's Chick-fil-A right there. Everything is aligned. We know who we are, we know what we do, and we know how we do it. Now, we have a country club that is a client, and they were talking about culture and culture and culture and culture. I sat there for an hour, and I realized they had no clue how to build a culture. Some of you guys are talking culture. You have no clue how to build a culture. Today, I'm going to give you a little insight on how to build the right culture. Everybody says, I want to have a family-type environment. That's dangerous. Anybody know why? Say it again. Families fight. You tell me. Some people say, we're going to have a family-type environment. Really? Oh, so we're going to come to work and curse each other out? <laughs> Seriously. Like, some families curse each other out. Am I right or wrong? Are we going to have a family? Oh, so, okay. We're going to have fist fights. In, we're going to have fist fights. I haven't talked to my sister in two years. So, okay, cool. So I can give you the silent treatment if I don't like you. So people just flippantly say, we want to build a family-type culture and assume that everybody understands what that is. I'm from Chicago, right? Everybody comes from different kind of backgrounds. And in fact, there's different type of families that are all functional. Would you agree? My family and my wife's family are very different. Nobody's better or worse, just different. So you just can't blanketly say that we want to build a family-type culture and not be able to back it up with what you believe a family should operate like. And some of your people will stay if you truly build a healthy family culture. Because sometimes if you grew up in dysfunction, which happens a lot in poverty, you are looking for something special even if you don't know what it is. I don't like home, so I left. <laughs> I'm just looking. Oh my god. I love working here. It's not about the money. For once in my life, I feel valued. For once in my life, I feel loved. For once in my life, I hear someone telling me what's right with me, and I always what's wrong with me. For once in my life, I'm a part of a team. <laughs> oh my God, I, it's not about the money. <laughs> I come work here and I feel happy. I go home to craziness. <laughs> But for eight hours a day, 12 hours a day, I know that it was more out there for me. Thank you, Mr. GM, for creating this culture. And I'm not going to leave. We have people at St. Andrews been there 25 years. Servers. Been there 23 years. Servers. And they don't look like they're going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> now, I don't understand the culture behind the scenes because I've never worked for St. Andrews. But when somebody's been with you 25 years, that's a good sign that they're doing something right. Would you agree? So you need to think about the tenure of your country club. If you have a whole lot of turnover, that means something is seriously wrong with your culture. And if you're a leader, it's your job to build a culture. Now before we get into this framework, smart companies are training and development organizations masquerading as a country club. What is McDonald's really? It's a training and development organization. 
What is, what is Ruth Carlton really? It's a training and development organization. What is Alabama football, really? <laughs> Nick Saban is running a training and development organization masquerading as a college football team. So if you run a training and development organization masquerading as a country club, you will reduce attrition. You will develop people, and you will have a more productive country club, would you agree? So today is a great lesson in your training and development. you got to work on your culture. What is your culture really? Well, we don't have one. Everyone has a culture. If you have people, you have a culture. Whether you have an intended culture or a culture by consequence, every country club and yacht club has some type of culture. What are your core values? This country club that I work with had no core values. None. I asked the GM, I said, man, what are your core values? He goes, huh? I said, well, well you, you're building a culture. You need core values. He ran back in his office. He said, is this it? It was a plaque. <laughs> I was like, dude, that's not core values. And I was like, y'all don't have core values? We did a half-day workshop in this country club creating core values. And we got done. It was like, man, they hugged me at the bar. We went to the bar after I got done with the, with the workshop. He was like, thank you. And I started teaching them how to make sure these core values are living and breathing and not buried in some HR person's cabinet. And it was funny, after the workshop, we talked about core values. The food and beverage guy said, man, I got to go and fire three people. <laughs> he said, as soon as I get back, I got to fire three people. Here's why. One of their core values they chose together was to be fun and friendly. We're going to be a fun and friendly country club. He says, I got to fire three people as soon as I get back. Because I got three people to work for me. They aren't fun or friendly. <laughs> and so listen, they no longer fit the culture. If you don't have core values, you don't know who's a good fit and who's not a good fit. Would you agree? OK. Core focus. What is your core focus? OK. Chick-fil-A has a core focus. Would you agree? We didn't make the chicken, but we invented the chicken sandwich. They have a core focus, and they also have a core customer. If you, don't want, if you want Chick-fil-A on Sunday, tough. If you don't like our Christian values, tough. Maybe you're not for us. Does that make sense? So culture, core values, core focus, we all need niches. Would you agree? Smart business people understand this. OK, here's the fun. Culture. Culture is different. It is defined as the sum of attitudes, customs, and belief that distinguishes one group of people from another. Your country club needs to have one team, one dream. Now, you notice culture is a sum of attitudes, customs, and beliefs. That's why I love to travel internationally. You go to China, China has a culture. You go to Italy, Italy has a very different culture. You go to Jamaica. Jamaica has a culture. Okay? And here's when you know you built a culture. Anybody know when you built a culture? You guys don't know? You don't know if you built a culture until it gets passed down to the next generation. The Jamaican culture has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. So great leaders, you know if you built a great culture, if it sustains itself after you leave. Business leaders who don't build great culture, as soon as they leave, the whole organization crumbles. That's why great coaches in sports are known by their coaching tree. 
Not only am I a great coach, I'm producing other great coaches. Why? Because I'm investing in them. Information. I'm investing in their training and development. If you're going to be a great leader, you got to develop people, and you should be building a leadership tree. Wouldn't you agree? Ooh. You guys watch football? At halftime of the championship, Nick Saban went to a freshman quarterback. Crazy Nobody will put a freshman in the second half of a national championship. But Nick Saban did. How was he able to do that? Anybody know? He had a framework. So did he trust a freshman or did he trust his training and development? Brilliant. I'm watching that game. I was like, this is one of the greatest leadership lessons I have ever seen. Some of you guys are afraid to leave your country club because you think all hell is going to break loose. <laughs> you might be texting somebody right now. Hey, did we open up the golf shop? <laughs> <laughs> did the valets show up? <laughs> See, you should be training people so well that you're not handcuffed by the country club. Does that make sense? And if you're not doing that, I challenge you that you're not really a leader. You're just managing people. Does anybody know the difference between managing and leading? What's the difference? Not all managers are leaders, and not all leaders are managers. Yeah, managers keep everything the same. Boom. What's your name? Can I shake your hand? Here's the difference. Great leaders influence. Poor leaders rule. Write that down. That's good. <laughs> Great leaders influence. Poor leaders rule. That's why many third countries are in trouble because they have rulers. Rulers don't care about the people, do they? Rulers just want to be in charge. So I'm going to ask you a question. What's going to put you in a better position for your career, to be an influencer or a ruler? Talk back to me. <laughs> many, parents rule, many parents rule at home because I said so. That's called a ruler, because I said so. But if you want to make your kids mature, don't rule them. Influence them and always give them the why. Here's why. If I come to you, Dad, 16, and all you say is because I said so, I leave the conversation 16. But if I come to you 16, and you give me the why, I might not understand. I might not even agree. But at least I heard a perspective of someone older and more mature. So I might come to the conversation 16, but I might leave 16 and a half. I might even leave 17. Does that make sense? So great leaders don't rule. They influence. Because if you give your people the why, you don't have to babysit them. If you give your people the why, you don't have to micromanage them. Does that make sense to everybody? Great leaders influence. Bad leaders rule. You don't have a true culture until one day when you leave your country club. The culture stays because you built a great culture. But if your country club falls apart the moment you leave, you didn't build anything. <laughs> you had a job. You got paid well. You had some random people. But you didn't build anything. See, I want to influence business leaders to build. That's what Good to Great was all about. You guys read that book? 
Good to great was about great leaders build culture. It's not about your charisma. It's not about you being dynamic. It's not about you ruling and everything got to come across my desk. Great leaders are really low key and don't mind other people shining. They don't mind other people looking good. They don't mind sharing the stage with others. Why? Because my job is to build you. My job is to develop you. My job is to duplicate all the intellectual property I have in me and give it to you. Isn't that what moms do to daughters? Isn't that what fathers do to sons? We're supposed to mimic our father's behavior. Would you agree? So my father's job was to implant everything he had on the inside of me. My job was to watch how he operates and to mimic his behavior. So many fathers hear me clearly. They will hear what you say, but they'll trust what you do. Your kids in the back seat paying attention. My mom was telling me to have a good attitude. Here's she's talking about her job right now. <laughs> oh, I hear her on the phone. She says she hates her job. I can't hate my English teacher. <laughs> I can't hate my school. But you hate your job. Many times we pass these attitudes on to our kids not even knowing it. Would you agree? Raise your hand if you got a family. Raise your hand if you got a family. Guys, you got a culture in your house. Would you agree? Can you do yourself a favor and turn your family into a training and development organization masquerading as a family? And your kids will hear what you say, but they'll trust what you. Your employees will hear what you say. And they'll trust what you, are you too good to clean up a table? Are you too good to mop a floor? Are you too good to make a drink? Are you like to walk around and feel important? <laughs> hey, do that for me. Pick that up. Over here. Come here. Oh, you little ruler, you. You suck. <laughs> Great leaders influence. Poor leaders rule. Build a culture and pass it down to the next generation. And when you leave and come back, Oh my God, it'd be like, oh my God, Darlene worked here for 30 years. She built this mentoring program. Oh my God, Darlene's been here for 30 years. She built this leadership program. Oh my God, and plug your name in. So can I ask you a question? How long you been there and what have you built? <laughs> oh, you just got a job. Okay, moving right along. Core values, the fundamental beliefs of a person or organization, these guiding beliefs dictate behavior. You need to make sure that you hire people to buy into your core values. And if you're just hiring random people, no wonder your culture is dysfunctional. No wonder your culture is, is blasé. Because you're hiring people that don't even buy into your core values because either you don't have any or you don't put your core values out there where everyone understands what your core values are. There needs to be an upfront agreement that, hey, these are our core values. If your core values, we're a fun and friendly organization, you got to let people know when they come in, we're, we have fun here. And if that's not you, you're not a good fit. Does that make sense? And people will self-select out. Core focus. Now, let's get down to the fun. Here's how your country club might look. <laughs> I'm coaching right now. I want to kick you in the butt just a little bit. Is your country club leadership team, food and beverage, the golf pro, every, kid program, is everyone buying into the culture? Is everyone buying into the core values? But Walter, we don't have any. How can you buy into core values if you don't have them? Because every individual in this room has core values. You guys know that? You've been successful in your career because you've created your own personal core values. But if we work together and there's five of us, we all have different core values, would you agree? So if we don't create core values as a team, it will be impossible to create a cohesive team, and it will be impossible to build a culture. How does your country club look? Does it look like this? All nice and neat? Or does it look like this? 
Turnover looks like that. Poor sales look like that. High turnover looks like this. Apathy looks like this. Disengagement looks like this. The Gallup poll measures this. So if I were you, I need to get some information so I can build a team that looks like that. Build a family that looks like that. Recruit people who buy into that. And that's how you build a team. All right, let's get down to the nitty gritty. If your team has the right culture, core values, and core focus, that's the foundation of being successful. Here's the six traits of a high-performing team. Communication, communication, communication. Raise your hand if you're married. Raise your hand if you're dating someone and not married. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a relationship in your life. Raise your hand. What happens as soon as you hit a rough patch, what's the first thing that happens? The first thing that happens in a relationship that goes bad is communication. Man, my girlfriend didn't call me today. <laughs> right? <laughs> he got in the car and it's all quiet, and the first thing you ask is, what's wrong? <laughs> you feel it, am I right or wrong? Because you normally talk and tell me about your day, you normally chatty. As soon as something's wrong, people go quiet. See, here's what happens to a lot of your employees. They quit, but they forgot to tell you. Isn't that good? <laughs> Raise your hand if you have some of those. They quit, but they forgot to tell you. Okay? Now, see, communication on a scale of 1 to 10, ask yourself the question, how well do we communicate? As a leadership team, how well do we communicate? As service in the restaurant, how well do, you, do we communicate? The starter and the person in the pro shop, how well do we communicate? Healthy organizations communicate a lot. Now let me give you some gender information for you nerds that love stats. The average woman needs to speak 25,000 words a day. The average man is about 5,000 words a day. So men, we are poor communicators. That's why women are taking over business because they communicate well, okay? You don't believe me? You have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I got three kids, two girls and one boy. I ask my girls, how was the day at school? 30 minutes later, I got an answer. Right? I asked my son, how was school? Good. You got that test today. How'd you do? Fine. Are you hungry? Yep. Am I telling you the truth? So, man, we got to be careful to make sure that we understand that we got to communicate more. That's why your wife likes to talk to her mother a lot. That's why your wife likes to talk to her sister a lot. You don't understand it. You don't get it. Because she needs 25,000 words a day. Does that make sense? You're not talking to her. <laughs> right? You're giving her one-word answers, and then you wonder why Friday night ain't your night. <laughs> uh, Beth, we'll be back with the marriage workshop later. Okay? Am I telling you the truth, though? This is true. This is information I've received after reading books, going to trainings. I know what I'm talking about. So communicating at your country club, men, if you don't communicate well, your country club doesn't communicate well. So you have a culture where we have poor communication, and that's a trait of great teams. Great teams talk a lot. Great teams talk all the time. In fact, great cultures have their own language. Would you agree? I go to corporate events. Some I go to these meetings. They have so many lingos and acronyms. I'm like, what are they talking about? <laughs> and everybody gets it. It's like they speak a new language 
but it's culture and communication. So on a scale of one to 10, give yourself a grade right now. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being amazing, how well does your country club communicate? But if you're not having meetings, if you're not doing training and development, or you're the business leader that does all the talking, right, because you're a ruler, you just tell people what to do, that's not really communicating. Because a communication gap is that you talk to me and I talk back. <laughs> you talk to me and you talk back. Rulers don't want anybody talking back to them, would you agree? Rulers don't even ask, they tell. <laughs> just do what I tell you to do, <laughs> and we'll be fine. Well, that's fine, but I want you to understand if that's your mindset, you're not developing people, and two, you're not really a leader influencing, you are a ruler. Does that make sense? And people love to lead rulers. Why do people from third world countries love to come to America? Typically, they're fleeing what? They're fleeing a ruler. And so if you have high turnover at your country club, <laughs> did y'all hear what I just said? And you're talking about them like, oh, it's high turnover, high turnover. I had a guy at a car dealership say this to me, and I'm going to work with them. It's a big car dealership out of Chicago. He says, yeah, we have a lot of turnover at the bottom because we only get riffraff. That's what he said. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, dude, I got to work on your mindset. I had a CEO of a bank tell me, we don't invest in training and development because most of our you know, tellers are low-level employees. Oh, you dumb. When you go to a bank, who do you deal with the most? And they call us dumb jocks. <laughs> I'm like, Mr. CEO, you're dumb. <laughs> You should invest in your tellers the most because they have the most touch with your customers. At your country club, who has the most contact with your um, uh, members? Thank you. I don't see Craig Martin every day, <laughs> but I see the golf pro every day. <laughs> I see the, 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 the manager in the, in, in the restaurant every day. I see the bartender every, well, I'm, I'm not a drunk. <laughs> I see the bartender every other day. <laughs> Bottom line, guys, can you guys do me a favor? We can help you with this. Make sure that your leadership team and entire organization does a better job communicating because that's the trait of a high-performing team. Chemistry, I'm going to help you with chemistry in a moment as you learn our work expressions. Commitment. See, remember back in school, some kids were committed to an A. And so when they got the B, they were pissed off. <laughs> in fact, the whole family was pissed off, right? Because mom had that bumper sticker on her car. You guys know the bumper sticker I'm talking about? You guys know the bumper? My child is on the A honor roll. <laughs> Mama, you bold putting that. I know dad didn't do that. <laughs> Moms put those bumper stickers on the car declaring their child is a straight A student, which means school hasn't even started yet. And I have so much confidence in my child that they're going to get A's next year, too. Does that make sense? I don't have a problem with that because that's mindset. And I believe if you run a training and development organization, achievement needs to be a core value. And there's nothing wrong with you setting an expectation with your children that since our core value as a family is achievement, we expect to get A's. Now, I'm not going to kick you out if you get a B plus, but the expectation is for us to get A's because that's the kind of family we are. Does that make sense? So when that B shows up, the whole family is rattled. Right? So when a family leaves your country club because they didn't like the service, the whole country club should be rattled. Would you agree? Not just you. Why? Because if the whole core value of everyone in the country club, because we're talking about it, you didn't get my steak right now, I leave the country club. <laughs> you know 
You didn't make my drink right, so now I leave the country club? I don't like how you treated my son. So I'm leaving the country club. Until your entire staff is rattled, you've not built the right culture, would you agree? Okay. Commitment. Straight A students were committed to an A. And when they got that B, they were pissed off. A C student's committed too, would you agree? Remember those cool athletic C students? <laughs> Their whole goal at the beginning of the school year was to get a C. <laughs> They've already dismissed it, I'm gonna get a B or an A. I'm good, I'll just get a C. That's a commitment, would you agree? In fact, a straight C student gets an A on the midterm, they act like this. <laughs> Oh my God, I got an A on the midterm. Mom, dad, I swear I didn't cheat, mom and dad. I didn't cheat. I don't know what got into me. I studied, I prepared, I applied myself. I studied, I prepared, I applied myself. But don't get your hopes up, mom and dad. Don't get your hopes up, mom and dad, because you know me. You know me. Consistently, I'm a C student. <laughs> so I got this A, but don't get your hopes up. See, our best-selling book called All But Stink, I write a whole chapter on setting goals that create pressure. You know what a C student does? They don't set goals that create pressure. Many of you in this room are operating a C country club. Why? Because you don't want to set goals that create pressure. And you make excuses. Well, you know, we just, we, all we got is yacht. We don't have golf and other stuff, so. You know, we're in a little small town. The economy, no, 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 no. Set goals that create pressure. I don't care where your market is. I don't care what town you're in. I don't care how much your membership fee is. I don't care what the economy is saying. I don't care about houses selling. You need to set goals that create pressure. When I was 17 years old, this is what my goals were. I'm gonna play in the NBA. I'm gonna graduate in four years. And when I'm done playing in the NBA, I'm going to make more money in business than I did in sports. Who would agree that was some pressure? But man, I played in the NBA. <laughs> I graduated in four years. And in three years, I doubled my NBA income. Most of my colleagues who played in the NBA had no goals post-career. <laughs> and they're sitting around like, oh, what? <laughs> You didn't set goals to create pressure. Can you guys do me a favor? Create goals and set pressure for you as a professional. Can you guys do that for me? Set your own personal goals that's going to push you. And as a team, make sure you guys are setting personal goals. And if everybody's committed at your country club, you are much more likely to achieve it. Would you agree? If your country club has not set goals on membership that create pressure, you're not building the right culture. You got to make sure to be an A student, you got to set high goals that create pressure. Accountability is nothing more than ownership. Common goals, we got to have the common goals. And most importantly, trust. You cannot have a relationship without, in fact, most relationships break down when one of the parties fools around. And the other one says, nope, can't do that. <laughs> nope, don't trust you. You travel a lot. You there were late hours? Nope. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. So when you lose trust, do you have a relationship? Can I ask you a question? Amongst your leadership team, how strong is your trust? So would you agree that those six traits are very important for you to build a high-performing team? Would you agree? 
If you don't have these six traits operating at your country club at a high level, you've got a lot of work to do. Would you agree? So how do you get the work done? Training and development. <laughs> Most people just go to work and we just see what happens. <laughs> and nothing's going to change unless you lead the change. Would you agree? So are you managing a culture? Or are you going to lead the culture to somewhere better? Does that make sense? Okay. Now, here's the fun part. Oh, my goodness. Let me do something real quick. My, my mic. Can you grab my computer bag? I got a charger in there that's about to run out of power. <laughs> I forgot to put my power in. Okay, here it is right here. Okay, as I grab my power back. All right. Sorry about that. All right, there we go. Got some power. Okay, good. All right, here's the fun. I want you to give yourself an instant assessment on the three areas where you need to improve the most. All right? Trust, communication, chemistry, commitment, accountability, or common goals. At your country club and your leadership team, what three areas do you have the biggest gap? And if you don't know what gaps you have, how do you get better? Do we have any former athletes in the room? Raise your hand if you play sports at any level at any time. I don't care if it was sixth grade soccer. I don't care if it was ballet, synchronized swimming. In sports, we have what we call our off-season, right? And in your off-season is where you get bigger, stronger, and faster. In your off-season is where you get better. Would you guys agree? But if you don't acknowledge where your weaknesses are, how do you get better? So for a moment, I want you to think about what are your weaknesses at your country club based on these six traits of a high-performing team. Who in this room needs to improve their communication? Raise your hand. Okay. Who in this country club environment believes they need to improve their chemistry? Raise your hand. Who thinks their leadership team needs to have just a stronger commitment to excellence? Right? How about accountability? Oh my God, we blame each other for everything. Raise your hand if you can improve your accountability. Now, these are dollar marks, honestly. So if you can improve your communication, would that add more revenue to your country club? Raise your hand. Would that make your job better? Raise your hand. Would that reduce turnover? Raise your hand. If you had more chemistry, would that make your country club more successful? Raise your hand. Okay, so all of these traits tie directly into your success. Happiness, fulfillment, and all these traits tie into your upward mobility. And all these traits tie into the success of your country club. So you think you're trying to get to the next level? To me, your next level is based on how well you do where you are right now. <laughs> Would you agree? You don't want to just leave your country club and go lateral, right? You want to leave your country club if you have to leave your country club. But your culture should be so good you really don't want to leave. But you might say, you know what, I got a thousand reasons to stay. They got a hundred thousand reasons to leave. <laughs> Does that make sense? So you should build such a culture that you're good staying where you are. But if someone calls and I got to go because it's a great opportunity, 
cool. I hate to leave my team. My goodness, but I have a great opportunity. But you guys know what to do. You guys build such a great culture that when I leave, they backfield. Does that make sense? Okay. So listen, know what your gap is. Here's how project management operates. You come up with the idea. You improve the idea. You advance the idea. You critique the idea. And then you execute the idea. You know, I, I used to do a lobster night over at Frenchman's Reserve. Anybody here from Frenchman's Reserve? OK. Um, my fraternity, we used to be members at Frenchman's Reserve until you know, when we lived in Palm Beach Gardens. And they did such a great lobster night that I brought my fraternity to Frenchman's Reserve. And all my fraternity brothers are some of the most successful African-American men in South Florida. And they love lobster night. And I organized lobster night. I had no idea it would be such a hit. And so to this day, we've been doing lobster night at this country club. Like it's our signature event, annual event. Why? Because lobster night's great. The lobster's great. The food is great. The spread is great. And they let us have this little private room, a little private library. And it's become our signature event because Frenchman's Reserve did such a great job. Okay? Now, you have millionaires coming into this country club on a regular basis. You guys know a couple of people who actually bought a house in there? Because we already got a couple of frat members that live in there. So all of a sudden, like, man, this is nice. Wow. OK, like the golf course. You know, let me see. I'm going to bring my wife. She likes it, too. See, if you put on signature events, before you know it, you increase the equity of your club. Would you agree? So when someone at your country club has an idea or lobster night, Idea on barbecue. Idea on how we should do Memorial Day. Idea on how we should do the 4th of July. Idea on how to do the Super Bowl. Idea, idea, idea. You need a team to pull this stuff off, would you agree? Our anniversary was Labor Day weekend. My wife worked with the staff at St. Andrews for months. And we got done with that party. Every person there said, this is the best party St. Andrews has had in 25 years. We got so detailed that since our na last name is Bond, we had a Bond theme. The whole staff got into it. And so with Bond, what does he drink? Martinis. Guess what? We had three martinis, and each martini was named after our three kids. We had the Wesley, the Corey, and the Kendall. Kendall was sweet. <laughs> Corey's a little sweet and she get a little sassy, so she was the lemon drop. <laughs> and my son is strong. <laughs> so he was a signature. Man, it was memorable. And the country club, oh, we got enough martini glass. Man, the, the, the teamwork was amazing. And let me tell you something, the bill came. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but hey, it was a great night. Does that make sense? But it took teamwork. From the country club, the staff, food and beverage, the bartenders, we did a tasting, boom, boom, boom. It was unbelievable. And so as a result, we're even more endeared to St. Andrews because they help us put on a 25th wedding anniversary. You guys realize how special that my mother flew in town. We put people up in the hotel, the Boca Resort. I mean, we had shuttles. It was big time. And they executed we had a fake VIP room set up. We turned it into like a nightclub. It was unbelievable. Anyway, here's what I want to talk about. Framework, OK? Framework. This is our ITIN framework. I want you to see yourself in this framework. Everyone in this room has what I call superpowers or work expressions, OK? 
Every high-performing team needs an innovator, all right? An innovator is a superpower. They are people, men and women, who can think outside the box. And let's go through some of the profiles of an innovator. Innovator is obsessed with potential and are nonstop creative. Innovators think outside the box and advance how things are currently done. Innovators aren't afraid to take risks. Innovators will roll the dice. There's some cons to an innovator. Although they're good for catalyst and business growth opportunity, uh, they don't see limitations, they keep organizations cutting edge, innovators are easily distracted. Innovators chase shiny things, okay? Innovators can whiplash a business. Innovators can overthink simple things. And sometimes innovators are throwing things at their teams too fast. Now, why are some of the people in our business world very successful? Here's why. They understand their superpower. And when you know what your superpower is, you should stay in your lane. Would you guys agree? Remember Michael Jordan stopped and played baseball? <laughs> he sucked. <laughs> and he came back to his superpower. Would you agree? He was playing out of position. Great athlete, but his skill set wasn't for baseball. His skill set was for what? Basketball. Man, think about all the athletes we might have lost to football that should have been boxers. You know, I grew up in, uh, I went to school in Minnesota. Everybody plays hockey. And I see these hockey players. I'm like, man, you'd be a great linebacker, dude. So if you play the wrong sport or play out of position, you'll never reach your potential, would you agree? Some of the greatest innovators of our time is known as Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, Thomas Edison, name more. Who's some innovators that you love? In hospitality, who are they? Uh, Meyer. Who? Meyer. Who is he? Tell us what he did. Got it. Love it. Anybody else? Any other innovators that you guys respect in business or in hospitality or in the country club space who just think outside the box? You know, we don't sell a lot of dinners on Monday night. And well, let's innovate and figure out how to get some butts in here and make more money, right? If you have a problem at your country club, it's going to take innovation to solve it. Would you agree? But here's the problem. If you don't have that skill set or that work expression on your team, you're not going to be able to solve the problem. Would you agree? So when the NFL goes to the draft and says, we need a quarterback, we go draft what? A quarterback. So if your team does not have an innovator and the position opens up for food and beverage, I don't need just someone who has experience in food and beverage. I need someone who has experience in food and beverage and can innovate. Now we're starting to build a championship team. Now here's funny. Raise your hand if you ever had a Blackberry. Raise your hand if you had a, ever had a Blackberry. Raise your hand. Now, I'm going to make a point to you. And this is the kind of stuff I think about all day. Blackberry was the first person to launch a smartphone. Everyone had a Blackberry. But in 10 years, does anybody have a Blackberry? In fact, raise your hand if you have a Blackberry. What happened? Seriously, what happened? I believe if they would have hired me 10 years ago, 
I could have helped them make. You guys don't have an innovator. Hello, it's no different than basketball. If you need a point guard, you got to go find one. Okay? Blackberry, you got to stop innovating, which means you don't have that work expression on your team. Go find one. Go hire one. Go steal one. Does that make sense? There's no reason why Blackberry was the first smartphone, and in 10 years, you completely lost the market totally, only because they didn't have that work expression on their team. Now, in sports, we have draft parties for the NFL, <laughs> right? And many of our favorite teams, we believe who they need to draft. <laughs> Man, I hope they get that quarterback. <laughs> oh, no, we need a wide receiver that can stretch the field. Think about the pressure on these GMs to look at their roster and say, look, we got a good wide receiver. We got a good offensive line. Oh, do we need a quarterback or a running back? We've narrowed it down to those two positions. So do we take a quarterback or Saquon Barkley? You see what I'm saying? But imagine the fun you could have at your country club. Because I love my staff, but we're not really innovative. How can I go and find an innovator to finish off my team? Does that make sense? I believe if BlackBerry wouldn't found an innovator 10 years ago, they still would be number one in smartphones. Do you guys see how critical this is to have a framework? And here's what happens. Oh, I need a food and beverage guy. Let me go find one with experience. Oh, I need a golf pro. Let me go find one with one. No, we need more than that now. I need, I need some superpowers. I need to know that what, what, what is your true gift to the world that when you come in, yeah, you know, you're a chef, but are you innovative? Yeah, you sell memberships, but are you innovative? You got to look at your team deeper. Does that make sense? You can't look at your team based on title because basketball has a framework. We have point guards. We have shooting guards. We have small forwards, power forwards, and centers, but great coaches put the team together differently. Would you agree? And championship coaches understand that if your superpower complements my superpower, we're going to be better. So we hire people not to compete with our superpowers. you got to hire people to complete your team. Does that make sense? So innovators have pros and they have cons. They think outside the box. They think nonstop, but they can be easily distracted, and they can whiplash an organization around. What's the guy in London who's trying to take people on the moon? Uh, Richard Bransford, is he not an innovator, right? Was uh, Bernie Marcus, an, no, not Bernie Marcus, uh, Madoff was an innovator, right? A wicked one. But he innovated in the idea to defraud people, would you agree? Now, I want to acknowledge the gift, but a gift without character never lasts, would you agree? A talented ball player without character won't have a long career, no matter how talented. A business person with talent and no character goes to jail at some point. Does that make sense? Okay, here's another position. Initiator. Love initiators. Initiators are like wedding planners. They get the idea and they say, ooh. <laughs> ooh, you want to do a lobster night? Ooh. You want to do a big barbecue? Ooh. I know how we should do it. And they love to lead projects. Can I ask you a question? Do you have an initiator on your team? 
who's good at taking an idea and bringing it to life. Initiators understand how to take an idea and bring it to life. They are process creators. They have the ability to grasp an innovative concept and turn it into a workable strategy. Initiators have the capacity and capability to connect and negotiate the right people and resources to fill a plan. Their skill set is dynamic. Cons of an initiator. It's my way or the highway, baby. <laughs> I know how I want it done, and you need to get out of my way. Could you imagine a lady getting married, has two best friends, and she wants to choose who's going to plan the wedding? Whoever she doesn't choose is going to hate the wedding. <laughs> the wedding could be gorgeous, but she's going to hate the wedding. Why? Because I wanted to plan the wedding. Why are we going to Jamaica? I would have stayed local. Why are we having chicken? I would have had chicken and beef. <laughs> Why did we do carnations? I would have done roses. Initiators love to initiate. Initiators get pregnant with an idea, and they bring it to life, and they know all the details of an idea. So if you have a country club who've had a bunch of ideas, and you've never done them, raise your hand. Honestly. You talk about it, but you never do it. You know why? You don't have the skill set on your team. <laughs> you need to go and draft an initiator. Would you agree? Just like an NBA team or an NFL GM, if you recognize a superpower your team doesn't have, you got to go and find that superpower. Does that make sense? So I don't want you to ever just hire random people again. You have to understand a framework to make sure that all of your skill sets on your team complement each other. Initiators are great. They are the most multifaceted of all roles. Most country clubs or businesses have what we call a COO. They're an initiator. You guys know why a lot of cultures are dysfunctional? Because the COO and the CEO, if they're not on the same page, the COO could take over. Yeah, I don't like it. He's an idiot. <coughs> mm, we should do this. And I can prove it to you. Steve Jobs? No, no, no. Um, Bill Gates? I'll tell that story later. Initiators are important for teams. I'm an innovator on my team. My wife is an initiator. She can take my ideas and she can bring them to life. So one day we're driving down the street on military. And I said, you know what? I get a lot of athletes calling me who want to be speakers. We should do a boot camp and just take a weekend and take all these athletes through the foundation of how to build a speaking business. My wife goes, ooh. <laughs> when my wife says ooh, that means she got pregnant with my idea. And since she's such a dynamic initiator, she took the idea and brought it to life. She went to PGA National, ran it out of room. She had a website, built a website. And it was called the Celebrity Sports Workshop, OK? And then she said, all I need from you is the name and the phone numbers of the athletes. That's all I need. <laughs> Give me the name and the numbers of the athletes. I'm driving down the street, came up with the idea. My teammate advanced the idea and had 27 athletes in the room. And they paid $3,000 a piece. Is that not good teamwork? If it was me by myself, I would still be talking about it. Because <laughs> I'm an innovator, and that's my superpower. That's how I express myself. When I'm trying to help my team win, I come up with ideas. But I am horrible at advancing ideas. That's not my skill set. But my wife, 
That's her superpower. She can take my ideas and put legs on them. And that's teamwork, would you agree? Does your team have an initiator? If you have a great innovator on your team, and you have a great initiator on your team, lobster night will be awesome. Margaritaville will be awesome. Everything you do at the country club will be awesome because every idea that you come up with, you actually do it. <laughs> but if you don't have these superpowers on your team working in harmony, it's going to be impossible for you to build a high-performing team. Now, here's the funny part. Here are some prototypes. Henry Ford, Tim Cook, Mark Zuckerberg, Ray Kroc. McDonald's was not Ray Kroc's idea, was it? It was two brothers' idea. I can't think of their name. But Ray Kroc said, hey, we should do this, man. <laughs> We're sitting on the gold mine. We should do that. The two brothers can't think of their name. They innovated McDonald's, but they were stuck. They kept this little small box restaurant, and Ray Kroc was like, dude, do you realize we're on the verge of something? Ray Kroc was not an innovator, but he was an initiator. And the rest is history, would you agree? You guys heard of Mark Zuckerberg? Facebook? That was not his idea. <laughs> he stole it from his boys. Now, what kind of friend is that? <laughs> we're frat brothers. And I come up with this idea, but he initiated the idea. He put legs on the idea. He brought the idea to life. It's a totally different skill set, would you agree? So in basketball, you got to know your superpower. I can shoot that thing, man. You leave me open, I'm going to make you pay. But please don't make me play point guard. Please. I'm not going to have fun, and we're not going to be that good. But if you put me over here on the wing, and you need somebody to knock down a three, I'm Ray Allen. I'm Reggie Miller. You understand how superpowers work. So can I ask you a question? Think about your team, not as food and beverage, not as a golf pro, but do you have an innovator on your leadership team? Do you have an initiator on your leadership team? If you don't, you need to go find one. If you don't, you need to go draft one. And if you don't, you're not going to build a high-performing championship team. The only con of an initiator is my way or the highway. <laughs> Once I got the idea and you give me the green light, get out of my way. <laughs> it's going to be great, but get out of my way. Sometimes initiators can be tough to work with. Why? Because their superpower doesn't allow them to. I know exactly how we should do it. There's a bunch of ways to have a great wedding, right? And at some point, somebody got to grab the wheel. When I come up with the idea, I get out of my wife's way. <laughs> and when, when I get out of her way, oh my God, the magic. We have all kind of projects right now. And she's initiating. We're building a sales training for a client. We just got a book deal with a, with a book publisher. And somehow, some my way, my wife and her superpower is working, OK? Here's another superpower, improver. Improvers are great for culture. Oh my God, improvers are sweet. Improvers hug trees. Improvers hate to fight. Improvers love to get along. Improvers just want to make the world a better place. Here's my advice. You need a country club full of improvers. I'll pick up the garbage. I'll pick up. It's not my role, but I'll do it. It's not my role, but I'll do it anyway. See, improvers are people like is the ultimate team player, sometimes to a fault. 
They completely buy into the culture. They are truly committed to team goals. They will wear your country club's jersey. I love working at this yacht club. I love working at this country club. I'm not even thinking about leaving. I love it here. I want to stay. It's not even about the money. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just happy to be here. Love improvers. Here's some prototypes of improvers. Mother Teresa, Oprah Winfrey. Wasn't her show about making our lives easier and better? Would you agree? People tuned into Oprah because we all believe if we watch Oprah, somehow we're going to get better. <laughs> and who does she launch? What does Dr. Phil do? He got some tough love, but he'll make you better. <laughs> he'll make your marriage better. He'll make your family better. Who else does she launch? Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz, what does he do? He makes us healthier, right? We live in a world where obesity and high blood pressure and disease and alcoholism. Dr. Oz is an improver. He wants to make this world a better place. Okay, what was Nelson Mandela? He just wanted to make South Africa better, and he was willing to go to jail for it. Who on your leadership team? They only go, I don't need to innovate. I don't need to initiate. But what I can do? Whatever we got going on, I'll make it better. <laughs> I'll improve it, okay? You need that skill set on your team. Now, here's the cons of an improver. Sometimes they can be seen as a pushover. Sometimes they're overly sensitive to criticism. Improvers hate conflict. Improvers won't even bring it up because I don't want to fight. Does that make sense? Any improvers in the house, raise your hand. I just want to get along, have a good time. I don't like fighting with you. I'm an improver. I will keep my mouth shut before we have a fight. So for me, my superpowers, I love to innovate and I love to get along. Be sweet, Walter. Be sweet. Go for it and be sweet. So we have to understand these skill sets because when we put them all together, guys, it's going to build a real framework of a high-performing team. So here's the one I love the most. Instigators, the most understood person on a team, the most necessary person on a team. You guys heard of Dennis Rodman? What was he? There's an instigator in the NBA right now. What's his name? Draymond Green. Who said that? You guys get it already. Uh, remember Bill Lambeer? In hockey, they have what they call what? We're my hockey fans. They have a, a goon or a bruiser, right? Their job is to do what? Keep everybody on their toes. <laughs> right? You hate to play against them, but you love them on your team. What was Jesus Christ? He was an instigator. He wasn't necessarily seen as some nice guy. <laughs> he turned over tables. He challenged people. He got right in your face. Enough that they killed him, right? Every high-performing team, you need somebody with a little salt and vinegar in them, right? No, no, that sucks, man. Our golf course, no, no, no. Our golf course is terrible. We got to do something about our golf course. We got too many divots. The, the freaking sand traps are nasty. I'm sorry, man. We got to improve this golf course. We're going to be a golf and country club. We got to get a better golf. Our, our freaking chef is bad. It is what it is. We got to do something about it. 
And Proves will say, oh, well, you know, it's not too bad. <laughs> it's okay, you know, he does a good pasta. <laughs> instigators, no, 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 we're not gonna sugarcoat this. Now let me tell you about the prototypes of instigators. George Soros, Steve Ballmer. Let me tell you about Steve Ballmer. You guys know who Steve Ballmer is? The greatest CEO of Microsoft. Well, Bill Gates, no, it wasn't. Do your homework. Bill Gates was an innovator. Bill Gates was smart. When you become Bill Gates, not many people are going to disagree with you. Would you agree? <laughs> like, whatever you say, boss, <laughs> you're freaking Bill Gates. How do you disagree with Bill Gates? But he brought in a CEO named Steve Ballmer, who had been there the whole time, who was not in awe of Bill Gates. That's why some of you country club general managers, you've got to get your ego in check. Nobody can challenge you. Nobody can disagree with you. Really? An innovator and an instigator needs to work in harmony, hand in hand. Because all your little ideas aren't good. My wife is an instigator, too. She doesn't love all my ideas. <laughs> if I come up with 10 ideas, she loves three of them. And if she loves them, I love them. And I'm OK letting the other seven go, because innovators want to fall in love with all their ideas. Bill Gates fell in love with what he built at Microsoft. He should. Get it. Bill Gates, with his innovation gift, took Microsoft as far as he could take it, and he knew it. He got Microsoft to 30 billion dollars because his superpower was innovation, but he brought in a guy named Steve Ballmer who's a classic instigator. If you don't believe me, Google him and watch some of his interviews. He's a natural born instigator. To this day, they don't even talk. Now that sucks, man. Together, we built an 80 billion dollar company and we don't even talk. They don't understand how these superpowers work together. They don't understand how these work expressions work together. Many times you go to an NBA ball, play, ball game and a kid come out the locker room with stitches on his eye and you assume that happened in the first half, that might have happened in the locker room. <laughs> Amongst family. <laughs> Pass the ball, dude, you're being selfish. That's what instigators say. Run the freaking offense, man, we acting scared. That's what instigators say. We need to get back on defense, man. That's what instigators do. They're not afraid to challenge the status quo, but an instigator got to want to win. And some instigators just instigate to instigate, but a great instigator instigates because all I want to do is win. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but we got a job to do, and I'm going to make sure that we do it, and I'm going to make sure we do it right. Instigators see what's wrong with situations. They don't mean to be negative. They don't mean to be critical, but it's a superpower. I see what's wrong with this country club, and I see it so clearly, and it bugs me and I can't get released until we fix it. So Steve Ballmer comes into Microsoft, and he goes, Bill, I love you, but why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? And he turned Microsoft into an $80 billion company and bought the LA Clippers. Bill Gates gets all the credit, but behind Microsoft was a team. Does that make sense? Every great team has an innovator. Every great team has initiators. Every great team has instigators. Every great team has improvers. And there's one more skill set that I want to talk about, an implementer. You guys need a lot of implementers at your country club. I don't need any politics. I don't care who's sleeping with who. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. I'm going to grab my coffee thermos, and I'm going to grab my lunch pail, 
And I'm going to work from 8 to 5, a 9 to 6. I'm going to give you all I got from 9 to 5, 9 to 6. But at 6 on 1, I'm leaving and don't call me. <laughs> I'm leaving, leave me alone. I'm going home and I'll see you tomorrow. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I don't care about politics because the focus on doing, they can be poor communicators. Most implementers don't like really dealing with people. Most implementers are a little, you know, introverted, right? Engineers are great implementers, okay? Engineers, accountants, those are great implementers. Just give me some work and I'll do it. What, what, we're cutting the 19th hole today. We, we, we're fixing the same. I need something to do, man. If I don't have nothing to do, I get bored. If I don't have nothing to do, why am I here? Implementers love to work and have great work ethic. They can grow unhappy without direction or a steady, well-defined workflow. Struggle with change and criticism, especially not adaptable if there is an instruction direction from others. Can be seen as a loner. Okay, so what I did today is I just laid a basic framework. This system is very robust. You got to know how an innovator to, to, to avoid the pros and cons. The initiator has pros and cons. Instigators, oh my God. I have a CFO right now of a huge uh, restaurant. Great concept. I'm not going to say their name because they're all over the country. We have some right here in South Florida. They have restaurants and they sell wine. If you know who I'm talking about, that's enough detail. The CFO heard my I-Team workshop because I did it for her previous company. And when I got done with the workshop, she says, oh my God, I'm an instigator. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> she took a new concept, bought some stock, loved the new opportunity, and got fired. And she called me before she even called her own husband. She says, Walter, <laughs> that I-Team is right. I got fired today, and I wanted you to know why. I'm an instigator, but I over-instigated. I didn't mean any harm, but I just saw some things wrong, and I just wanted to fix it. And I told her, look, you are an instigator. You can't help it. It's a, it's a natural ability, but you have to learn how to instigate the right way. Does that make sense? So this lady got fired because she didn't know how to operate as an instigator. So here's what I want to do. We're going to have a quick exercise. We're going to have some fun with this. We have wristbands in the back. And here's what I want to do. As I share these, these superpowers, some of them should have spoken to you. Some of them should have been like, you know what? Raise your hand if you feel like you're an innovator. Raise your hand. OK, raise your hand if you are an initiator. Raise your hand. You love to manage projects. Raise your hand if you're an instigator. You don't mean to be. You just, it is what it is. Raise your hand if you're an improver. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're an implementer. You just love to grind. Just tell me what to do. I don't mind working 12 hours. Raise your hand if you're an implementer. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. No implementers? Not one implementer? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the back table, and we have these wristbands. Red is for instigator. That's appropriate because instigators like to stir the pot a little bit. White is for innovators, okay? Green is for initiators. Gold is for improvers. And black is for implementers. My wife, hold your hand up, Antoinette, again. I want you to go and grab a wristband. And here's what I want you to do before you go and grab a wristband. Most of us have a primary and a secondary I-team work expression, 
okay? When I think about myself, my primary is innovation. Oh my God, our book is titled All But Stink. We have a new book coming out called The Shark, the Sucker, Fish, and the Parasite. We just got a book deal on it, and it's a brilliant mentoring program. It's brilliant about networking. It's really going to empower my clients to manage people. Sharks, you guys ever study sharks? Incredible. Sharks never stop moving. Sharks never go backwards. Sharks can only look up, and they never look down. Who in this room wouldn't want to be a shark? Right? But ask yourself the question, what's the difference in a shark and a fish? Anybody know? This is fascinating. I met Mark Victor Hansen. He thinks I'm on to a mega bestseller. Does anybody know why a shark is called a shark and not a fish? You guys don't know. You got to buy my book. <laughs> a shark is called a shark because a shark has no bones. A shark is made of cartilage, which means a shark is flexible. Fish with bones are inflexible. Right? So the book is called Shark, the Sucker Fish, and the Parasite. A sucker fish is in a symbiotic relationship with the shark. They actually suck themselves and connect to the shark. And it's symbiotic because the shark never stopped moving and is always looking for a food source, which means the sucker fish gets to eat the scraps of every kill of the shark. The shark must be a leader who's willing to take people with him. GM, I know you got a career, but are you going to take people with you? I know you want to get promoted, but are you trying to promote people with you? See, a great shark understands mentorship. But look, I'm pursuing my own career, but I want to be an impact player for other people. Does that make sense? See, Michael Jordan was a shark. Scottie Pippen became a sucker fish. And together, they won championships. Shaquille O'Neal. Kobe Bryant was sharks, and they had other people connect with them, and we all won championships. We all got paid. We all got big contracts. See, a great shark understands that I need teammates. But a sucker fish needs to understand when they're in the presence of a shark. So sucker fish are in the ocean just kind of floating around. They say, oh, here comes a shark. I got to connect to the shark because the shark is going to take me places. But sucker fish, you got a job to do. Your job is to make sure the shark stays clean. What do I mean by that? Parasites connect to sharks too. But a parasite can weaken a shark. A parasite can even kill a shark. How? Parasites get in the nose and the nostrils and attack the shark's brain. Parasites can get in the gill and can affect the shark's breathing. So a sucker fish gets to go on free rides through the ocean. They get to eat the scraps of the shark's kill. But they got a job to do. It's to keep the shark clean. This book is going to be about three types of people. Sharks, sucker fish, and parasites. In the context of people, when I look at Gallup's poll of a disengagement, 51% of professionals in America are parasites. They take a paycheck every two weeks and give nothing in return. They take a paycheck every two weeks and don't add value to the country club, the yacht club, the tennis club. So imagine if we came to your country club and taught your staff about the shark, the sucker fish, and the parasite. Who in their right mind would want to be a parasite? All a parasite is is a selfish person. 
They take, but they don't give. And so we're creating through these ideas. My wife is going to advance the shark, the sucker fish, and the parasite into mentoring programs, into networking events, but making sure we're developing people. Because if you want to be a shark, you've got to have the right movement. If you want to be a shark, you have to have the right attitude. If you want to be a shark, you have to be flexible. If you want to be a shark, you've got to think like a shark. And here's the best part. You guys ready for this? Some sucker fish live inside the mouth of a shark, which means you've got to start saying what sharks say. Does that make sense? Successful people know what to say. Successful people know how to control their mouths. Successful people know how to build people up, and they never tear people down. If you hang around a shark long enough as a sucker fish, you start thinking like the shark. You start acting like the shark. And you develop into a shark yourself. And that's what great leaders do. They're the shark. And the whole staff connects to them like a sucker fish. But that leader says, look, connect to me. I'm going to teach you how to be a GM yourself. <laughs> connect to me. I'm going to teach you how to get promoted yourself. In fact, I started out as a valet. I started out as a teller. But now I'm the CEO of the bank. I'm a shark. But a great leader has to be willing to impact other people and to take them for a ride, too. Now, if you're that kind of leader, won't people love working for you? If, you, if you're that kind of leader, won't people love to be committed to you, loyal to you? And so we have a bunch of personal development things that we believe if people connect to us, we know we can help you manage people better. We know we can help you lead people better. But most importantly, you got to know your superpower. I'm an innovator, and I'm an improver, and I stay in my lane. My wife is a great initiator. She's also an instigator. She stays in her lane. Every 1099 person that works for us, all we need is what? An implementer. <laughs> we got innovation covered. We got initiation covered. We got instigation covered. We got improver covered. Our gap on our team is an implementer. So what I want you to do is go to the table, and on your right hand, I want you to put your primary I-team work expression on your right hand but I want you to put your secondary I-team expression on your left hand. And as you put these bands on, the right hand is your primary, your left hand is your secondary, I want you to find people who have your primary. Okay? Any questions? Okay, my wife has the bands at the back table. Primary on your right hand, secondary on your left hand. Primary on your right hand, secondary on your left hand. And then get in the groups. If you know of a good book, tell me about it. I spoke at a conference. This guy heard me speak. He said, you got to read the book Traction. You know, you, you, you got to go read the book Traction. I went right to the bookstore, and I read Traction. Now I understand. Everything I talk about was in the book Traction. <laughs> if the author of Traction heard me speak, he would have thought I plagiarized this book. But any winning sports teams, the culture is pretty similar. Would you agree? Any winning hospitality organization, the culture is going to be pretty similar. Would you agree? Any functional family, right? It might not be identical, but they're going to have a lot of similarities, would you agree? 
So what I want to encourage you guys to do is to learn some success principles as it relates to leadership. So from a leadership standpoint, name a good book that you read recently on leadership. Say it again. Raving Fans. Okay. Anybody else got a book they recommend? Raving Fans. Who's the author of Raving Fans? Is that Ken Blanchard? What's that? I believe it's Ken Blanchard. I believe he's the author. Yeah. Any, any other books we need to read? Yeah, you had a question. Right. So, going back to the Phil Jackson talk and the Raven so do you feel that the failure of the Air Force is trying to stick to the Phil Jackson's superpower was coaching. So he went to New York and played a totally different role, and people are confused, like, why well, didn't work in New York? Phil did not coach in New York. He was a president in New York which to me, he played out of position. I would never hire him to be a GM and assume he was going to be a, a can't miss because he's Phil Jackson. The championships he won in Chicago was him coaching, which to me is his superpower. He went to New York and played a totally different position, which means that that coach didn't have the superpower on how to install the triangle offense. It's not quite the same. Does that make sense? So he didn't play the same position. And again, bad move by the New York Knicks. If I'm going to pay Phil Jackson buku money, I'm going to make sure he comes to New York and play the exact role he played in Chicago. So to me, the New York Knicks mixed it. They paid him $11 million to play a new position. He had never played. To be a GM and a president of a team, you got to manage salary caps. you got to deal with agents. It's a whole different skill set. Right? So he should have coached the new. You know what I would have done? I would have fired him as GM president and hired him as coach. That's what I would have done. I still got to pay you this money. I would have stripped all these titles and say, Phil, I just paid you freaking $11 million for five years. I got to get you back in your proven super power. Thanks for listening. This has been Education Elevated on the FLCMA Podcast Network. Download other episodes on a myriad of different topics for anyone in your club or organization, regardless of their job title or description. We'll see you next time.